It, it is amazing how quickly everyone is uh, interested in Christmas this year. I don't know if you all have noticed that. Christmas decorations up a little quicker than normal and all that fun stuff. And I don't say that lightly. I, <laughs> I'm part of it myself. Amen. Let's have a good part of the year. Amen. That's funny, there's been so much of this. My wife was reminding me uh, of something very fun that happened um, in, our, in our lives and happened this year. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, that was, there was some good parts of this year. Amen. But uh, it is still 2020. I guess I'm with the rest of us. But let's, let's look to Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 7. We're going to read to the end of the chapter. Then I'll have you be seated. We'll pray. And I'm going to go back again. As we will need to do, I believe probably every service is keep walking back and reminding us what each chapter is for so we know where we are. Because Paul's, Paul's logic and Paul's presentation always stems from the previous thing he said. And it's just, it's constant, it's a constant flow. So, Romans chapter 7 beginning in verse 7. What shall we say then? Have we heard that already? A couple times in chapter 6? Seems like a lot. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. That would be conscience, if you don't mind. And more we'll talk about. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And we'll talk about that also. Don't think about that as some other mysterious person that lives inside of me. No, it's still you. He's using sin as a... Um, as a he's using the word sin as kind of talking about the sin nature of, of mankind. Okay? Now, verse 18. Well, just say verse 17 again. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, and here's explaining it, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. Then when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, which is the same thing as the flesh, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity, to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched. And he, what he means by that is miserable. Okay? He's not, ta- he's not referencing his sin. He's referencing his state of mind. Okay? Oh, miserable. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. Dear Father, we thank you very much for the day. And Lord, I would ask that you would help us as we seek to 
unravel in our own time and culture what it is that Paul is speaking of. And certainly, Lord, it is a truth that we desperately need. And we'll thank you for it. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated. I've entitled this, What is a Man to Do? What is a man to do? And, of course, the answer is... Uh, begun in the last verse of this of this passage, but um, let's see here. So chapter one, we we'll all go back back to chapter one. Remember, so chapter one is the clear ringing note that we are all just wicked, filthy sinners, um, and we know that because we always like to use chapter one to talk about all those other evil people. But when we get right down into the list of things that talks about sinning, we fit in there quite nicely. Matter of fact. It's almost imprinted that our name is there, almost, almost exactly. So, chapter 1, all are sinners. And, of course, the question arises about the Jew. Chapter 2, he says, you know, if he starts talking about the law and the Jews. He said, that's great. Yes, the Jews have the law, but the law did not make them righteous. And then chapter 3, he begins, to, he begins to basically reference not only the Jew, but all men. There's no one who is made righteous by the law or by works. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God is without the law, or without the law is manifested, being witnessed or even foretold by the law and prophets. It's also in chapter 3 that we find out that faith is what brings righteousness in verse 28, where it says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, without the deeds of the law. And chapter 4 is an illustration of this. The whole of chapter 4 is the illustration of Abraham saying that Abraham was not justified by works. And now if you remember, the Jews always looked to Abraham that the law began kind of, um, that Abraham understood a form of the law that would eventually be codified greatly in Moses. And what Paul is reminding them is that that uh, what, what they refer to is the circumcision, when he got circumcised. And what Paul reminds the Jews and all those that look to Abraham tells them, hey, Abraham was a believer and was granted righteousness before circumcision. That would be before the law, okay? And it, we'll just use quickly verse 2 and 3, for if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof the glory, but not before God. But what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So that's, so man is able to gain righteousness by the illustration of Abraham apart from the law, and it has to be by faith. And then, so then the question keeps arising, well, what's the purpose of the law and all those things? And chapter 5, we begin to hear that, and I know we could, I could go a little bit further into chapter 5, and I may for future, for future uh, uh, chapters, but for this chapter, what we need to look at from chapter 5 is, is that the law came in on purpose so that sin would appear as sinful. And we're going to talk more about that today. That's verse 21, chapter 5. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through... Well, I'm actually adding this as another part of chapter 5. But anyways, the law, the law came in that, uh, that, that sin might appear sinful, and we'll look at that. Then we got to grace chapter... Or grace. Chapter 6, that... The question after that would be, so, oh, I've got grace and it's apart from the law. Well, then does that mean I can, I can just live a life of sin? You know, the, remember the idea was, that, well, then should I sin more? Because if sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You know, should I sin more? You know, so it can come. And he says, no, no. And the whole of chapter 6 is to give us the idea that, no, sin is not the nature of a believer. Cannot be the nature of a believer. Grace, grace was not introduced so that men could sin without feeling the effects or the consequences of sin. So sin is not the nature of a believer. So a believer cannot claim grace and be continuing a life that they know to be sinful. Amen. Now granted, again, I'm just to remind you, it doesn't mean that believers never sin individually. It means they don't live a life living in sin. Continuous sin. You understand. We, we wouldn't have I, verses like 1 John 1, 9, and, um, oh man, I've, my brain just went dead, but the other verses that talk about how to take care of sin or that we have an advocate with the Father as a believer, that verse just disappeared from me. Uh, but uh, we wouldn't have those verses if that was the truth. So, now, so the natural next question is, 
for, from those who would, who would have it so will be, if sin is not the nature of the believer, so if, if we're not going to be sinners, I think I used the opposite direction, but we'll go this way this time. So, ah, okay, so then sin is not the nature of a believer. All those who have been advocating the law would say, you're exactly right, see? The law, righteousness by the law. That would be the nature of the believer. And chapter 7 is now introduced, verses 1 through 6 specifically, to tell us, no. Not, not only is sin not the nature of a believer, also the keeping of the law is not to be the nature of a believer. Amen. The whole of the whole of believer's life is not to be about keeping the law. And verses 1 through 6 deals with that question. It's to striving to keep the law also, this is not the nature of the believer. Okay? Now, so now we're up to verse 7. We got this 1 through 6. No, that's not right. Uh, what, so then what is uh, the believer's... So, you know, what, what about the law? Why, why is it not? If, why is it... If, if also this is wrong, if sin is wrong and keeping the law is wrong, doesn't that kind of put sin and the law on the same, on the same scale? Wouldn't that make the law sin? Okay? And this is where he has to begin to say, especially when you think about it, if, and, and we've got this, these words again in here that sin entered, or that the law entered, that sin might appear as sin. Okay? And we've read some of that even just now. So the law. If, if the law is what points my sin out and the law is what keeps, you know, that's the problem and that's why I sin, well then isn't the law just as bad as sin? You know what I'm saying? Isn't the law blamable as well? Because, I mean, you know, if it wasn't for the law, we'd all be fine. Now, do you all get it? Do you all following me just a little bit here? Isn't it? Wouldn't it be sin? Because it can't heal sinners and it's the one that keeps calling all the sin out, so it's got to be bad too. And of course, what is Paul's response? God forbid. God forbid. He says in verse 7, what shall we say then, is the law sin? God forbid. Okay? And he says, I had not known sin, but by the law. Okay? For I had not known lust, except that's the illustration, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. He didn't say we don't lust. He said, I would not have known that it was called lust. I would not have known specifically that, that it was this specific thing is a wicked thing. Now, you understand what sin is, and often we, we use, I want to make sure I'm using the definition in the chapter, because sin is one of those things that's got um, vague definitions sometimes. You know, it's a, is it a trespass against God? Is it disobeying the Ten Commandments? So the very base meaning of the word sin, the word is hamartia in Greek, and it means, it's, it's, it's a very common term in that language, means this, to fall short. I got a, I got a bow and arrow, and I, and I shoot at a target, and I fall short of the target. I don't even reach the target. That's sin, okay? Thus the target being God's perfection, no man can reach God's perfections. Well, we are all sinners. We all fall short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Okay. Now, so let me, let, me, let me kind of put this together for you because he begins to talk about it in verse 8 too. So he says, I, I wouldn't have known sin but by the law. And then he says in verse 8, But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. So it's like this. <clears throat> We are fine as people as long as the law doesn't mess with us. Now, it's funny. Some of you automatically know what I'm talking about. I don't have any problem at all until the law or a rule gets in my way. Okay? Um, I would not have known that this was wrong. You know, I don't know has anybody ever told you, uh, you know, that you change accountants or you, you decide one time you're going to have somebody do your taxes instead of doing them yourself, and they look at it and say, what is this? And you say, whoa, that's this, this, this. And they look at you and say, you can't do it that way. Like, uh, what? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's illegal. <laughs> you can't do it that way. Oh, and they suggest, no, this is what we're going to do from now on. We're not going to do this anymore. You know, it's one of those things because we function as humans going about whatever we think is right. And what the law does is it sets this mark out there that says, well, no matter what you think is right, what matters is what God thinks is right. And then we all have a problem. Because none of us like to be told that we don't measure up. <laughs> Come on. 
No one in the room likes to be told, well, that was almost, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, none of us like that. We are fine. So, so you know, if there is no mark to hit, then, quote, there is no sin. If there's no expectation, then nobody did anything wrong. It's one of those interesting things about, about being, um, being a leader, okay, of any sort. So if, if anybody's underneath of you, right, a teacher, a parent, uh, a pastor, staff, whatever, if there's anybody that, is re, that you are responsible for passing on knowledge, if they do something that you know is wrong, but you're the one that failed to teach them that they weren't supposed to do it, who's at fault? Not them, <laughs> it'd be on me. Now, the nice thing is, with God, is he hasn't left anything out. He hasn't missed a thing. There is, but if there is no mark, then there is, quote, no sin. We never feel bad. Do you, do you understand? If, if we're not, if, we're, if there's no mark to hit, we don't know we're not hitting it. So, who cares? Is everybody with me? I think that's often why people don't like to talk to people who disagree with them. Or why we don't sometimes like to read books. or some, Because we keep finding out that the mark might be a little bit further on than what we like. But anyways, let's just keep on going. So I, I, let's look at verses 9 through 11, and then I want to use an illustration to kind of put it together for us. So he says in verse 9, For I was alive without the law once. That's kind of a weird thing to say, isn't it? What is he talking about? Like he had some previous life? Are we talking about you know, reincarnation or karma or what? So No, it's not, but let's... I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Okay, now. I, I, I toyed with this so much about how to do this, but let's just... I should have brought a ball. Why wasn't I thinking? So I'm going to make a ball. Okay? So this is, this is a ball. Do we have anything in our life, you know, that, we're, that has um, achievements around a ball? <laughs> Brother Jerry, do you think of anything? It's about this size, even though. <laughs> it, it's amazing, amazing, you know, I can say, I can even, I say, man, look, you know, check out my golf swing. You know what they say, you got to keep the right arm tucked, left arm straight, you know, and got to keep, so, you know. And, boy, I could show you my form to kingdom come, couldn't I? I could show you my form. I could even put a ball down, and I could smack it, and I could show off my form, and look how far the ball goes. Isn't this great? It's so awesome, you know. Man, I'm just awesome. Or I could get a ball like that. Look, look how good I look, you know. Look, I got my wrist snapped just right, you know, and look how good I look get, getting that off, or, you know, I've got... Well, isn't that great? Until somebody comes along and says, yeah, but what's the point? Where are you going with this? Say, you're you're hitting the ball. Okay, that's great. How about we put a hole out there, you know, I don't know, not quite half, maybe a third of a mile out there. And why don't you see how many times it takes you to hit the ball to get it in that hole out there? Oh, what? Oh, look, look how good I look. I can do that. Whack! Suddenly, I begin to look not quite so good. So, some of you baseball fanatics, what is a, what is a, 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 a pretty decent batting average? Somebody tell me, what's a, a pretty decent batting average? What's that? Yeah, 310. That would actually be a, I'd love to have a 310 batting average. You know what that means? That means you're hitting three out of 10 pitches that are coming at you. It means you're only hitting 30%, but 310, we look at that, that's a pretty good batting average. It's, it's amazing how much failure we go through to say, that's great. That, you hear what I'm saying? Until somebody puts a mark out there and says, yeah, but that's the mark, that we begin to realize how often we don't hit the mark. And a lot of what the law did was to say, here's the mark for all humanity. And you know what all humanity discovered? Even those who kept the law, quote unquote, kept the law, knew that a lot of their keeping was all out here, 
when it wasn't in here or up here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? How nice. (laughs) Suddenly you're looking good, and how far you hit the ball or throw it looks like nothing. Your inability is revealed when somebody puts a mark out there. We are revealed for the sinner that we already are. It's not like the law suddenly makes us something that we weren't to begin with. The law reveals what we weren't to begin with. Okay, is everybody with me? Okay. That's what sin does. When Paul says, I was alive without the sin once, I was just running through life feeling fine. And all of a sudden this law came in and, ugh. It's like, I'm doing great, just having my normal life. And all of a sudden, whoop, oh. Pull over with flashing lights. And what do you do inside when you get pulled over? You die. <laughs> Some of you, the nice part of you dies and the rebel comes out. And, uh, but you get the picture. The sin, sin revives, and I die. We suddenly discover, oh. Ever get caught with it? We'll just use this as a, a very, and I don't mean this literally, I mean this as an illustration for any sin possible. Ever get caught with your hand in the cookie jar? And you know the feeling? Boy, it's so fun, isn't it, to sneak out there? I mean, we kind of laugh. If you've ever watched any of those YouTube videos where kids get caught, like, in the middle of the night, and they've got the cake out on the counter, and they're just, you know, forking it in, you know? And the parents up there trying to video, and all of a sudden the little kid turns around like, ah! <laughs> What are you doing? Nothing? Who ate all the chocolate? I don't know. <laughs> it was the dog. I mean, you even see dogs do it. Who's the one ripped apart the pillow? Why? Because the law reveals our failures, our lousy attitudes, our rebel spirit. So the law then is actually proven because of that to be holy. It is good. It sets what is good. And it shows how far from holy we are. Amen. We are unable to reach it. Now, he says, verse, that's what verse 12 says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Verse 13, was then that which is good made death unto me. God forbid. So did God just send in the law just to make me feel, I mean, is that all the purpose of the law was, was just to kill me? And what does Paul say? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. God forbid, the law was given to make it clear that man is not just missing the mark, but he's missing it badly. Amen. Amen. The law, look at verse 14. For we know that, look at this, the law is spiritual. Now here's where the real, the real shift in the conversation begins to start taking place. We keep looking at the law as carnal. We keep looking, even the Jews, the Jews, did not, they, they understood the idea of the law being spiritual as given by God, but they were applying it carnally. They were trying to reach it carnally. And there is no person who can ever fulfill the law carnally except Jesus Christ. You're not going to do it. It's not happening. Why? Because the law is spiritual. And we by nature are not spiritual people. We are by nature carnal people. We are by nature people who live in this flesh. He says, he says the law um, is by nature something that I cannot do because I am carnal. So that was the limited blame of the law because we want to point finger at the law and say, hey, that's the problem, which leads us, I mean, directly to the limited reach of the believer, which we've already discussed somewhat. What, and what do I mean? Well, what does Paul begin to say? In verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. What does that mean? I I wouldn't even allow other people to do this, and I do it. For what I would, that do I not. There are some things I want to do. Now, do we understand that this is Paul the Apostle? And not that we would ever ever have any kind of a... um, a competition, and I'm certainly not trying to think of it this way, but if we were to 
if we were to list the top ten believers of all time, Paul's going to be in the top three, I would think. I mean, he's an amazing believer. And listen to the admission of Paul the Apostle. It says, I am carnal, sold under sin. There are some things that I do that I, I don't like other people doing. There are some things that I want to do. I would do this, but I don't. And the thing, some stuff I hate, I hate it. That's the stuff I find myself doing. If then, now granted, now he's not speaking just for himself. He's speaking in context of chapter 7 for all of us who are believers. Okay? Look at verse 16. He keeps going. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. (laughs) It's good. Yep. I even in my own understanding, especially as a believer, I look at the things the Bible says and I say, yep, that's probably good. I, you know, it's probably good that I don't look at other women and just get filled with lust. It's probably good that I, I look at other people's cars and houses and husbands and think, that's what I want. How come I don't have that? It's probably good that I don't steal, you know, and all this other stuff. And he says, you know, those are good things. And by our very acknowledgement saying, yeah, I want to do that, we're acknowledging, yeah, the law is a good thing. It is good. It is holy. Now, (laughs) so what am I doing? I am even confirming in my life in the flesh that the law is good and I am not. Now, I'm not trying to um, make fun of the condition. I have have had family members with a condition. But it almost makes believers, and I'm going to use this term because I think it's fair, a little bit bipolar. Okay, I want you to follow me through with that. And that's... Now, it's different than bipolar because bipolar people often have much struggle and they they can't actually deal with it. But that's not what the Bible says about us believers. But we have this issue in verse 17. Okay? Why do I have this problem with the law? Verse 17. Now, that is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, don't start thinking about this as some foreign entity, you know. Well, it's just the devil in me. No, it's... It's sin in you, and he explains it right there in verse 18. For I know that in me, that is where? In my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Do you see that? In my flesh. Now, again, sometimes we, we get confused with this. We start, we start trying to make this some kind of a weird mystical thing. There's nothing mystical about it. Is anybody here, is anybody here starting to get hungry? I'll just, yeah, that's your flesh. And it's amazing how your flesh suddenly starts saying, wish this guy would shut up. I'm getting hungry. Hubby's going to have a talk with you later. <laughs> that, you know what I'm saying? The flesh begins to do that. I'm going to stay up all night and pray. And the flesh says, yeah, right. Dear Heavenly Father, hey! <laughs> I'm going to get up early. Oh, my. Whose idea was it to get up this hour and read? You realize the flesh doesn't want to do any of that stuff. Go take out the trash. I don't want to. Who doesn't want to? The flesh. Because the flesh wants to do what it wants to do. You need to stay committed in your your marriage relationship. I don't want to. I see something I like better. Who sees something? The flesh. Do you understand? This, This is the flesh. It is matters of the flesh. That's where sin lives, in the flesh. You need to obey the speed limit. Yeah, but this car can do 140. And I like that feeling. I'll just be frank, I like that feeling. It's kind of fun watching the telephone poles go by like fence posts until it starts wobbling a little bit. But anyways, are you all with me? The nature of sin is built into my flesh because my flesh is is not spiritual. It clearly says it. In my flesh dwells... That's, and it's a tough statement. I don't think any of us even want to hear this. Verse 18, what does it say? What, what good thing does it say dwells inside my flesh? No good thing. No good thing. I'm going, well now, wait a sec. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Now, he's not referencing, what he's referencing is that sin nature. I'll just, I'm going to keep on going. 
I want to do good. Look what he says, and we'll read it here um, in verse, end of verse 18. For to will, to want to do right is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Has anybody ever found that there are certain things that you want to overcome as a believer? And man, it's like, I don't know how I'm going to beat this. I have tried and tried and tried and tried. I'm telling you if, you, if you have been any kind of a believer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There are things that you have looked at and says, I have got to beat this, God. I'm so sick of this. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? And here's what Paul's saying. I, I keep trying, what, in the flesh. It's not happening. It's not happening. And he says in verse 19, he continues it, For the good that I would, I do not. And the evil which I would not, that's what I do. And he says now in verse 20, Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. What is he talking about? What did he say it was in verse 18? In his flesh. Okay? And now he's going to start making this division. Verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Remember I said believers are, going, are kind of bipolar. We are, we are twisted. We are not twisted. That's not right. Um, frustrated conflicted. We're always on a battleground. We're a, we're a constant mix of the proper desire and the wrong actions. Constantly. Constantly filled with this. Constantly fighting with it. And he says, if I am frustrated as a, as a believer wanting to do right, he said, the problem is sin and sin is in my flesh. And that's just a natural part of what my flesh is. Amen. Obviously, verse 21 gets it. I find then a law, it must be obvious then, this is, this is a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And this is, this is a law that is as consistent as the law of gravity. Okay? It's as consistent as the law of gravity. Every time by the Holy Spirit I am, or even in my own heart and mind, I wish to do something that is right, as long as I'm on this planet, alive in this flesh, it's going to be a fight. Every time. Every time. I might get victory for a period. Is, is the devil just going to give up? Oh, well, you know, he got victory. Oh, well. No, if you're a determined enemy, you don't give up. You're wily e. Coyote and you go back to the drawing board. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That, the devil's not going to give up. He's going to find another angle. He's going to attack and keep attacking. He said, he said, I am a frustrated person. Verse 19, I'm a mix of proper desire and wrong action. I'm a frustrated person. It's because of sin. Sin is in my flesh. It's a natural part of my flesh. Verse 21, obviously then, I am a man of mixed aim and desires. It is as much, much a law as a law of gravity. Verse 22, I want to do right. Now, look, now he separates it again. For I delight to do the law of God after the what? Inward man. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. <clears throat> I want to do right, at least my inner man does, but I have an inner conflict. And this conflict keeps bringing me to failure and I sin again. <clears throat> does, can, anybody, can anybody identify with that? I can. I'm going to do right this time. I'm going to do better. I almost got it. Whack. And sometimes it feels like this. I'm going to do so much better. Bam. That's what it feels like sometimes. I'm just, I'm like purposefully setting myself up for the fall sometimes. Okay. Okay. I don't have to illustrate this by the response, and I'm not going to illustrate that. Look at what Paul says, and I think we can all agree. A wretched man that I am. The word wretched literally means miserable. It's miserable. He's, he's not saying, he's not using the word wretched to reference the sinful part of him. The word miserable is a, is a heart cry at the problem he is talking about. 
I am miserable. Lord, I don't want to have this constant two-person fight. I'm, this is misery. And I, I think we can all agree with that. There are times when we look at ourselves, and, and I'm telling you, it's like, what is wrong with me? How can I keep being like this? I keep saying I'm going to do better, and I, I, keep, I keep ending up doing wrong. I just, this is, God, this is miserable. Huh? And it's, you know what I really, well, anyways, this is the, the complete state of a person who wants to do one thing and very often ends up doing the other. A man who sees truly who he is, now think about this, a man, a believer, who sees truly who he is before God in this sense, will not be a Christian believer full of pride. He is forced with Paul to look at himself and say, this is miserable. He's a man of humility. It's the man who beats on his chest, who bows on his face. It's a clear recognition of one's own sinfulness. Now why would God take us to the point where we can look at ourselves and just go, I don't know what to do. So that we can, with Paul, see the next part. What's the next part? I love it. Look what he says. A wretched man that I am, what's the very next word? Who? That's a great question. That's interesting because you know what we often say, what? He says, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We always say, what? What do you mean, what? There's got to be something, listen, there's got to be something different I can do. That's a what. God, there must be something I am missing. That's a what. God, there must, be some, there must be some other procedure. Maybe there's another book. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some uh, and now granted, there's a place for spiritual warfare, but maybe there's a spiritual warfare thing, that, and it's always a what. We're always looking for this new program, new process of something that can make me better. Whether it be anything from returning to the old ways of what? Maybe a drug, maybe something that we're addicted to, maybe something that made us relax, maybe it, who knows what it might be. Any of those things. Humans always want a what, and the answer is not a what. It's a who. Who, Paul says, who shall deliver me, the real me, from the body of this death? <laughs> the, the answer is amazing. Remember we had... The limited blame of the law. Well, we can't blame the law. And this is interesting. You realize if we can't blame the law, then who's at fault? The limited blame of the law, the limited reach of me because I can't get to it. That's a problem. And we are introduced because of this to the unlimited reach of Jesus Christ. Amen. The unlimited reach. Of Jesus Christ. The body is what fights me. The body is what makes me miserable. The body is where my hindrance is to living righteously. But thank God we have Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, God. Look at what he says. He says it right there. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's Jesus. That Jesus. Now he uses the whole term specifically. I don't Paul never uses words without purpose. So he's not just saying Jesus Christ our Lord vainly. He means every word of that. Jesus, the man who went to the cross. Christ, the Messiah, the intercessor, the one who, who went, went back to heaven and interceded, interceded for us. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who now has the right, and, the right and ability to rule in us and give us direction. The great merciful deity that we now serve and the power that guides us and directs us. He says, he says that is where I will find delivery. Now let me pause and just say, He's not done here. We're going to keep looking at that through chapter 8. But I'm going to stop here because he has drawn this long picture and says, and here's the answer. It's Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ. Uh, the law can't make me perfect. What's the answer? Jesus Christ. I keep, keep being full of sin and I'm miserable and I'm unable to obtain the righteousness. What's going to deliver me? Jesus Christ. It's neither sin. It's neither the law. It's a third entity completely. It is Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. So what am I supposed to do with that? It's really simple. Stop going back to who you were and stop trying to be something better than you are and turn to Jesus. And I mean that completely, wholeheartedly. I am not taking away repentance one lick. Repentance is not the change of action. It's a change of heart, change of mind that may eventually lead 
should eventually lead to those change of actions. But only, not because of the law, and not because of my trying to beat sin or obey the law, but my turning to Jesus Christ. I must, what must I then do as a believer? Well, we're, we still fit the bill for Romans chapter 7. We still live in the flesh. So guess what you are going to continue to do? Live imperfectly. You are. Don't ever stop trusting Jesus. What does he say? What what does Paul say? Verse 25. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now he's not... not trying to draw for us, and we're going to find this out more in chapter 8. He's not trying to draw for us this endless life of complete misery where I'm constantly wanting to do one thing and always doing the wrong thing. That's not the picture he's drawing here, and we're going to be looking at that in chapter 8. Okay. What he's saying is, the rest of your life on earth, this is a battle you are going to deal with. Amen. It says, Jesus, look what he says in verse, who shall deliver me? The word deliver is a great deliver. It means rescue. Who's going to rescue me from this mess of the person I am? Only one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. If you, if you want to do a deep dive on a word, that, that word deliver is a good word because it means rescue and it comes from, do you have a current, like an electrical current or a flow? It's really cool. But anyways, so let me give you some thoughts and then we'll do maybe a couple of take-home truths on this. So thoughts. Often we as believers, we blame the rigidness of the law or of rules for much of what is really our problem. I'm just telling you, you just look at our current crisis and how many people are blaming law and rules for, their, for what really is their own heart issue. I know you may not like to hear that, but what do humans naturally do? We blame the law. We blame rules. And the truth is, most of the time, what the real problem is, is our own sin. Another thought, we don't like our wrongs to be called out. (laughs) And that's exactly what the law does. Number three, a believer's life, by nature, is a lifelong battle with yourself. (laughs) <laughs> now, pause. Uh, here, uh, here's what I want everyone to do. If, if that felt really bad to you, me saying that, very negative, I want you to look around because every one of us are in the exact same boat. There is no person here who's not in the same boat. Amen. Now, let me move on to another thought here. Now, I'm going to encourage you to come back next week because chapter 8 is where Paul begins to make the practical, the practical part of this where you don't have to live a life of misery. Complete misery. We still live in the flesh. We're, gonna, we're still going to be going, why did I do that? But anyways, okay. I should not be surprised nor critical when I or any other believer does evil that I or any other believer would not want to do. Are you hearing me? I should not be surprised nor critical. Matter of fact, what does the New Testament spend us a lot of time telling us about believers who are, have fallen into a path of sin? It's not neither surprise nor criticism. It's always restoration. Unless it's those who are rebelliously so. And that's a, hopefully a very rare case. Listen. And I'm going to take this again from that last verse. I want to read it again. With, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, follow me here. You know, this, you, know where, you know what this means where most of my struggles to be a Christian ought to be? Not out here. In here. And here. Amen. If I change this and this, does it affect out here? Absolutely. I should work 
Now listen, the efforts of my being a believer on serving and loving God need to be in here. And I don't need to let my flesh think that it has control there because it does not. Listen, my flesh likes to be, likes to demand and make itself think that it's in charge of what I think and what I feel. Philippians 4.8 is in the Bible because believers have a choice over what they think. Well, I shouldn't say over what you feel because often you have to change that, but you are, you are in charge of what you think. Amen. It's a battle, but it's there. I need to work, listen, I need to work on loving and serving God primarily in here and in here. Listen, are you hearing me? Well, you know how often, now granted, I know, there's one thing I know especially, and some of you who are, and I'm, I'm going to, phew, why am I being way too transparent all of a sudden, but um, I've put on some weight over the last little bit, and there's excuses for that, and I think maybe you all are being way too nice, some of you are saying something, some of you aren't, but you know, with loss of my parents and the issues that we've had and all this, I have not done a good job of taking care of myself. And I'm telling you, I've had some very low times, extremely low times in my life. I, um, I'm not even going to open the heart of my, my heart door open to tell you how low I've been in the last six months. But it was pretty serious. And it's interesting how my wife, my wife started pulling on me, why don't we go take a walk? It would be funny, just a few days of taking a walk, and it helped the spiritual side of me. So there are some physical things you can do that do help the spiritual side. But your efforts have got to be, got to be, your spiritual efforts have got to be here. I know I'm, I'm all the time harping on, you know, you should come to church and, and you should read your Bible more and you should pray more. And I hope you understand when I say those things, I'm not saying do those things as works, as some fleshly activity that may somehow get you closer to God. But what I'm trying to get you to do is work on this part of you. Don't just read, study, think. Don't just pray. Talk to God. Talk to God on purpose. Well, he doesn't talk back. Yes, he does. You just have to learn how to listen. We spend so much of our time in the flesh that we forget, we forget how God talks. We want God to talk to us in a fleshly manner, and that's not how he works. This is primarily how he works. And that's why I say read your Bible, because you know what? At some point, God's suddenly going to bring a verse to mind and you're going to go, oh, yeah. Or you're going to be reading and go, oh, that hurt. I needed that, Lord. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. I should work on learning and serving God in here. Now, fourthly, I must thank God for deliverance. Because it's, it's, we've already got it. Thank God for deliverance from Jesus even if I can't see it right now. Paul just spent a whole chapter talking about the misery of being him and then said, but I thank God, look what he says, who shall deliver me from the body? You realize that's a hope in the future. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Deliverance, complete deliverance is coming. And honestly, some deliverance is already available. Praise the Lord. And we're going to look at that again in the future chapters. So what are some take-home truths? And I'm, Take-home truths are hard for me because it takes so much work to try to con- consolidate it. It seems to me at this point you should have a lot of take-home truths in your own heart already. But let me, let me see if I can consolidate it just a little bit. I'm talking to believers. Sin in my life and the lives of others should neither surprise nor offend me. Listen, listen. Sin in the, my life or the lives of others should neither surprise nor offend me. Why? Because it is exactly the same thing that every believer has had to face since time began. Sin is, I'm not saying it should be a part of your life, but we live in the flesh. And it is a part of our life. So need, don't be surprised and stop being offended. And start finding ways to help people look to Jesus. And in my own heart, look to Jesus. Number two, 
the greatest struggles to serve God in my life, which will also bring the greatest victories, by the way, should be here. Without even, I don't want any raise of hands, but I want you to consider what you are truly fighting as a believer. In your, in by, by the things that you do, where, where is your real activity and your desire to be a Christian? Because I've noticed in my own life, when I have the deepest spiritual problems, my prayer life stinks. My Bible reading time is either non-existent or unimportant. I wouldn't even say Bible study. And my guidance by the Scripture on how to think is forgotten. The greatest struggles to serve God in my life, which will also bring the greatest victories, should be here. Right here. So number, number one, sin in my life and the lives of others should neither surprise nor offend me. Number two, the greatest struggles to serve God in my life should be here, seeking for Jesus. And this, lastly, any sign, listen, listen, any sign of Christ in the life of another believer or myself should immediately bring thanks to God to my lips. Any sign of Christ in the life of another believer or myself should cause me to thank God, amen, for his unlimited reach. And that's something we don't do. We tend to, and, I'm, I, and I think sometimes people are offended sometimes if the Lord has maybe touched them through a message afterwards, they say, thank you, pastor, and I say, thank the Lord. And the response is, yeah, but I need to thank you. No, you need to thank the Lord, and I'm being dead serious. If anything good comes out of this message, if anything good comes out of another believer, if anything good comes from any person towards you, all good things come from the Father of lights. You need to immediately thank God. Why? Because sin is pretty normal to to, to believers and humans. And goodness, that's only by Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I... I understand Paul immensely right here. I, those last two verses just capture the whole chapter in my mind. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I, can I just say this well, to finish up? Can you, you need to fall in love with Jesus again. You need to fall in love with Jesus again. He's a wonderful Wonderful master. Full of mercy and patience. He knows exactly the mixed state we're in. And he still loves us. He still died for us. And he's still coming for us. He is still our rescuer. Dear Father, Lord, I know I speak.